Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Dust off all the turnstiles and paint the lines back on. Tidy all the terraces before they burst back into song. Place in all the corner flags and hang up those nets. The Premier League is back again. Roll up and place your bets. City sit triumphant both in Europe and at home. Treble winners, champions, a seat they've made their own. Can anyone dethrone them? Can anyone make them flap? The chasing pack hastens, but who will close the gap? Freshly buoyant Arsenal with a shield already theirs? Or maybe Man United with their new-bought Danish wares? Are Liverpool back in business with a new midfield in tow? And will Chelsea's youth revolution give them back their flow? 
There's new boys in the ring too if you cast your gaze back down. Returns to Burnley and the Blades and hello to Luton Town. The first year is the hardest, they're always quick to say, but there'll be shocks and bloody noses in the relegation fray. The tune are back in Europe, Magpies ready to fly, whilst Villa keep improving under Unai's watchful eye. Brighton's star keeps rising, it's a European tour, while Spurs have turned to Ange to put the pedal to the floor. No Raya, no Tony, will the bees lose their sting? Whilst at Fulham we're all shaken by Mitro's Saudi fling. Bournemouth rolled the dice, they're all in on Iriola, whilst Forrest kept their heads, although the splurge is far from over. West Ham's European trophy might be hiding cracks within, and Everton are hunting stability behind that good old Sean Dyche grin. Crystal Palace are sticking with that good old Roy approach, whilst Wolves are in dire straits, got no money and no coach. 20 start the season, three will fall and one will rise, and for every team a different goal will be their own first prize safety europe or the crown whichever one you seek strap in and ready yourselves we're about to dive in deep the game is afoot once you strain upon the start remember that this is theater and love and war and art the roller coaster starts hang on tight and buckle in the lions once more roaring let the premier league begin Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Aww. to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast. Back again this week, a second episode this week, previewing the Premier League. My name is Jack Collins, and I'll be your host today. And I'm joined by the one and only transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? We're Premier League, we're Premier League. Hello, mate. I'm good, I'm good. Uh, Fulham's still in the Prem, so I'm going to enjoy it while that lasts. Um, yeah, lovely stuff, that, mate. Um, very good. I'm glad the poems are back. I hope that um, everybody is happy with this change. It's something that the people have been waiting for, and you set it off with the La Liga one, and you have kept the ball running. Um, so excited that the Premier League is back. Today's show is going to be fun. We're going to break it up into like three segments. And I was like, oh, how should we do this? I don't want to be predicting the Premier League table. Complete waste of time. Like, no point doing that at this stage. And obviously, we do other things throughout the season that, that cover that. So what we're going to do today, like segment one, we're going to focus on the big guns. Like, can actually anyone overturn Man City? And if so, who? So we'll talk about that. And then in the second segment, I want to go into some of those teams that are like middle ground, like the risers, but also the ones that have just got that drop off from the top six or seven. And in the third segment, we'll introduce the three promoted teams, a little bit about them, and also discuss a few teams that are in danger. And sadly, our very own Fulham may well fall into that category, but we'll get there in about 45 minutes or so. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about this one too. And I think this is it. We'll start at the top as usual. And we'll start with Manchester City, current Premier League champions, current champions of Europe, treble winners, the FA Cup making up that trio. The question, I suppose, becomes, can anybody stop Manchester City? And I suppose the thing that's been thrown around a little bit on social media over recent weeks, has this summer made them a little bit weaker at the point where we're currently speaking? Maybe. I think that we have to consider this key point before we go any further. No team has won four top flight titles in a row, ever. Like, this hasn't been done. In, so if in England, City, that's just... That's in just... England, in England, yeah. Um, Bayern Munich fans are like, what? We do it every year, mate. Um, yeah, it, this doesn't happen in England. You don't get this this sort of dominance. Like, even when you had, like, Liverpool at their peak, when you had Man United in their peak, they weren't doing it, you know. Um, I remember 
uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's Man United team um, going on runs, but they never got to the fourth title in a row. So there's some motivation for Man City on the back of doing the treble. You're thinking, well, what more is there to play for? And even Pep said, you know, some of my players will be wondering, you know, what more can they achieve from here? Well, this is what you can achieve. You can go and do something that genuinely has never been done before. Obviously, they've just lost to Arsenal in the Community Shield. I'm not going to read too much into that. They've got Erling Haaland, who got 52 goals last season. So they've certainly got a man that knows how to deliver on this stage. And they've also got um, a really, really comforting start to the season, knowing that they play a newly promoted side in Burnley. Obviously, you mentioned there the fact that, you know, the transfer activity from this summer, maybe some people think there might be a drop-off. Uh, Gundogan leaving is, is, is quite key, given that the, the way that... Um, he was so influential at the back end of last season when City turned things around and took the title away from Arsenal. Uh, and obviously, Riyad Mahrez going as well, a little bit unexpectedly, but I don't think it's going to rattle them too much. Um, and they haven't finished yet. There's still going to be a couple uh, of defenders going, although it looks, as I'm recording this, like Kyle Walker is staying, which I think is quite key. Let's remember the fact that they have made two signings this summer, which are very, very good signings. So, um, obviously, in Mateo Kovacic was the first one from Chelsea for £25 million. But to follow that up with another Croatian and, and Josko Gvardiol at £77 million is an outstanding piece of business. And as I've said before, one of the elements to Gvardiol's play is that he gets the ball out the back very quickly. And there is a feeling at Man City that all this is going to lead to is Haaland getting the ball even quicker so that his goal rate increases. So that could be a knock-on effect from having Guardiola. Look, it's going to take a big challenge and we'll talk about where that comes from. But Man City, undoubtedly the favourites to go on and win the Premier League this season. Yeah, I don't think there's any questions over that, right? That that's just That's just ultimately where we're at. At this point, it would be, I think, almost... It would go to a point of almost comedy to predict anyone else is going to win the league considering what we've seen you know even when city didn't win the league they've been second third right this is the 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 team that have been up and around it for so long and that was against a liverpool side who had been challenging right next to them for a couple of years and finally got the better of them fine no problem that that's not an an issue but i think that there is something in the fact that when you're talking about the Premier League and anyone who's going City aren't favourites are kidding themselves. And I think that when you're kind of looking at that, it doesn't mean that nobody else can win it. It means that the chances of anybody else winning it are low. And and the fact that, you know, sometimes you make a bet on things and even if it doesn't come in, it's a good bet. And I, I use this quite often when we're talking about, about football, sometimes about footballers, sometimes about, you know, the idea of what was going to happen. And ultimately you have to look at it kind of objectively and objectively this is a city team doing unprecedented things under perhaps the greatest manager that's ever graced the game and with a striker that no one seems to be able to stop from scoring goals who broke pretty much every record going in his inaugural season at the age of 21. I think you can ask questions over the fact that you know 28 goals from last season have gone out in the form of Riyad Mahrez and Ilkay Gundogan, you know, on, on top of 20 assists between them. And I haven't seen anything to suggest that currently City are looking at bringing in players who are going to 
change those numbers. I don't think that Kovacic, much as he is a, a replacement in the midfield for Gundogan, is the kind of player who steps up and makes things happen in the final third quite as much as Gundogan did. But I think that when you look at the reserve core, if you will, that City already had in the ranks, we saw Cole Palmer come on and score a wonderful goal in the Community Shield against Arsenal. We saw Phil Foden being used in different ways last year. We, we've seen Bernardo Silva being used in multiple different positions. We've seen Jack Grealish, you know, step up to the mark in that left wing role. It was almost like those things were already there. They just needed starting into place. And that's not even counting Julian Alvarez, who has played in an interesting role from midfield that allows him to do different things to just sharing duties with a man who never wants to be substituted in Erling Haaland. Yeah, exactly that. And I'm expecting a big season uh, for Alvarez. I think that he'll really feel that he doesn't want to be a bit part player anymore. Obviously, we saw last season that it was, it was pretty rare that you got him and De Bruyne and Haaland all into the team at the same time. But I think we might see more variations of this team this season. And also, it's going to be a big one for Jack Grealish as well. So it's not impossible that Man City do sign another forward. So like, be a little bit open-minded about that at the back end of this transfer window. But yeah, ultimately, for me, it's about like what sort of competition is there going to be now to take this title away from Man City? Like, what are the other teams going to do? So let's just remind ourselves that Man City won the Premier League title last season with 89 points. They were five points clear of second place Arsenal, who were in control for so long. Third was Man United. Fourth was Newcastle. They just grabbed that spot in the end ahead of Liverpool. They finished four points clear of them in the end. Uh, Liverpool ending in fifth. Sixth and seventh was quite surprising. It was Brighton and Aston Villa. Nice. Nice to see things shake up a little bit. Tottenham ended up in eighth. Chelsea, a shocking 12th. So there's a couple of teams there looking for bounce backs. But I'm looking at this last night, like really studying like where I think the biggest competition is going to come from. and. I've left Tottenham out of this segment of the conversation. They're going to come in part two. So, sorry, Spurs fans, you are not going to be featuring here. But I'll talk about that a bit more later on and why it might not be the end of the world that you're not being talked about uh, in these realms right now. But obviously, Arsenal will be viewed as the biggest contenders. And Declan Rice, the fact that, you know, Arsenal have gone and signed £105 million uh, for him ahead of Man City as well like to, to actually go and spend that money at a time when Man City got involved in the conversation I find really really interesting I know Man City weren't like super super into that signing throughout like from the end of the season to when it actually happened but they were still there they were still gonna do it and Arsenal ended up fronting the money like you don't usually see Arsenal obviously spending this sorts of money whereas Man City it's been done before they spent a hundred million pound on Jack Grealish two years ago so very interesting. Rice seems to be loving things at Arsenal. He says it's going to take a little time for him to get his head around all the things that Mikel Arteta is teaching him. But he really, really seems invested in this project. He seemed to love having his hands on the Community Shield the other day. And it's just the start of big things for him. Um, obviously, with Bukayo Saka and Martin Odegaard uh, still in this team, I'm, I'm expecting big, big seasons from them this time around. A blow to have Gabby Jesus out for the start of the season because it looks like it might be Kai Havertz starting up front. I've got some concerns about that if he does end up playing as that nine just because he, he ended up well, low on confidence from doing that at Chelsea, basically. And I think I was looking forward to seeing him in a completely different role. Eventually we will, but let's see how Havertz settles into the season. Do you see Arsenal 
as the main contenders to this City crown? Or do you think that the new expectations, the fact that teams won't be so surprised by their style of play anymore means that they might find it more difficult? I think we went through last season and we talk, talked about the fact that we weren't sure that Arsenal had had it in the final stretch, right? Because we said that we'd never seen Arsenal do that. And so there were question marks about that. I think Arsenal showed us last year that they are the preeminent challenger at this point. Now, obviously things can change, but at this point in the season, given the window they've had, they've brought in three players who look like starters in Rice, Havertz and Timber, and they've lost one in Granite Xhaka. Now, that feels to me like squad upgrading. And when you kind of look at, and look, you can discuss the price tags and whether you think they overpaid for Declan Rice and Kai Havertz and all of the above, that's fine. You can do that. But I think that when you look at this squad, it looks stronger than Arsenal's squad last season. This is potentially with David Raya coming in as a backup goalkeeper to Aaron Ramsdale to challenge for that number one slot and Matt Turner moving off to Nottingham Forest. I think that generally it looks like Arsenal are making those upgrades. And we talk about this, right? We talk about the fact that when you, you know, you try and let, raise the level of a team, you're not bringing in players to sit on the bench. You're trying to bring in players who come in and, and look like starters. And if your original team then rise to the challenge and, and take back their roles, then great, right? Because they have then, you've improved the floor of the squad. And so I think what they've done here this summer is sign really smartly. Yes, they've spent lots of money and they... I think that there will be expectation upon that. And I think rightly so. When you do go out and spend loads of money, people expect you to then deliver on the pitch. But I think what we saw from Arsenal in pre-season, what we saw from Arsenal in the Community Shield, the nerve they held towards the end of that game to force it to penalties and then to win the penalty shootout. Yes, you don't want to read too much into that. But there's an idea that actually it meant almost more for Arsenal than City this game because it allowed them to try and shift that mental block of not beating them for, for three years. And so... I think with all that considered and the fact that this squad was good last year, very good and challenged at the sharp end for a very long time and looks to have improved. Yeah, I, I, I think it would be unwise to look past Arsenal as the obvious challengers to City this season. And I think that obviously we're seeing the development of Mikel Arteta as a coach as well. You know, we don't know if he's reached his final form yet. If he has then I think that he's reached a very good level. But there could be further evolution here from Arteta. And I think that this Arsenal team are growing with him. And with that, what we saw from Urien Timber in that game, what we saw very composed from Rice, even Havertz, who came in for a few pelters for you know missing a couple of chances, I thought did okay, generally, across the course of it. So mm. when all of that is put together... I don't think anyone... There was a gap between Arsenal and everybody else last year, right? You know, below them in the table... And I don't think anybody else has done enough in the market yet. And I, the yet is saying we're recording this at the first week of August. There are three weeks left in the market. But right now, I think that Arsenal have done the business that keeps them above everybody else. I'm not sure I agree on this one. So <laughs> I just want to raise the guys that I think could really overturn Arsenal here. And it's between Liverpool and it's Man United. I see I see these two genuinely being able to push for second spot this season. Um, I'm actually going to start by talking about Liverpool because I was just looking across the squad and then they, they played a friendly um, against Darmstadt uh, this week. And I was looking at the lineup and I was like, the goal potential in this team is outrageous. And obviously, like they've they've brought in the signings of Alexis McAllister and Dominic Soboslai. We know what those guys can bring. But I was like, okay, so they basically played like 
six guys that can actually create goals. Like their their lineup in that fixture from midfield into attack was Soboslai, Alexis McAllister, Cody Gakpo, Mo Salah, Diogo Jota, Luis Diaz. That was their lineup. That's right? Kamikaze. The, <laughs> like that I appreciate, is, but that's Kamikaze. But they won't obviously do that in the prep. But like to have all of those options available, and that's not even all of them. Like, but to even have those options, that's not even mentioning like Darwin Nunez was on the bench. Um, obviously, you've got Curtis Jones, who had a really good end uh, to last season and actually really made a difference. You've got um, Elliot, Harvey Elliott, who's going to be really looking to make sure he can stay in the picture this season. They've got so many attacking potential. I still think they need another centre-back to really give me the confidence that they can have the depth to get through a season and actually put up a proper challenge here. But if Trent is also reborn, he was back at right-back for that game um, starting. I don't really like him as a, as a DM, like he's played a few times in pre-season. But I think, look, Liverpool have to get back in the Champions League conversation. They've got to finish top four this season. That's, that's minimum requirement. Yeah. I think we've got to remember, like last season was a big fall off for Liverpool. It was a, it pretty much a disastrous, you know, first half of the season and they, they clawed their way back towards the end. But I don't think we'll see that again. And if we don't, then Liverpool are just as good as Arsenal. And they've actually got a better history in this league from recent years of being able to keep going all the way through. Um, and I'll just before I go back to you, I just want to cover Man United. Obviously, they've... Um, They've been busy in a transfer window. I mean, it started slowly in June, but the, the plan was always that July would define how they might be able to be going forward. And July was very key. So they they got Mason Mount through the door. They got Andre Anana through the door. And finally, they have Rasmus Hoyland through the door as well. It's a pretty big spend for Man United. Um, and they've only really lost Anthony Alanga at this point of any, yeah. well, can you say significance? Well, I mean, De Gea has yeah. oh, obviously left, yeah. I mean, in terms of outfield players. Um, but De Gea has been immediately replaced by probably a better goalkeeper, so no concerns there. You know, it's still got um, a few outcasts in the squad that they want to be able to offload so that they can bring in um, a couple more players, obviously, another midfielder, and Amrabat's the guy right now that's still being talked about heavily coming to that team. I think that that would be key. Marcus Rashford's going to continue to be the guy that Man United look to for goals. Let's see how long it takes Hoyland to actually settle into this team. Not sure quite what we'll get out of him in terms of output. But, you know, Eric Ten Hag, I honestly think, like, he has to set his sight so high at the start of the season. I think he has to be telling his team, you need to go and challenge for the title. And anything, if they drop off from that, then fine. But I think he has to be at the point now, I know it's only early days in his reign, but given that last season, they, I think it was a pretty good season. To finish third last season, I think it's pretty good. And, you know, they finished eight points ahead of Liverpool last season. I think that's that's a pretty good place for them to be, a good marker. And they'll be like, look, we can definitely chase down Arsenal. Can we actually compete with Man City? Well, we'll find out. But we can certainly compete with Arsenal. So... They are my two that I think can topple Arsenal and compete to finish second. Right. So I have question marks over both. Um, and I, I think that your prediction for them to be the top four might not be too far off the mark. Or mm. I'm not saying that that's your final prediction. We know that the mark is. But yeah, yeah, that is, that is that basically five what I'm five But it's, I think that there's this. Manchester United scored 30 goals less than Arsenal last season. Yeah, 30. Do you think Rasmus Hoyland and Mason Mount saw that out? Um... I think that they'll 
definitely help. I mean, you know, you know, United's front line was poor last season, and they didn't have any options beyond Veghorst, who who helped them in terms of shape, but didn't help by wagging with goals. I mean, we don't know that Arsenal are going to be able to hit those same numbers again. I mean, a lot of the time Arsenal were scoring like five goals. They did it quite a few times last season. I'm not sure you're going to get that again. The only thing I would say, um, in terms of this being beneficial to Arsenal is that they have a really, really kind start to the season. And I think that that's, that's an opportunity that they really need to make the most of because there is an opportunity that they score five on the first day of the season, to be, to be honest. Like having an opening game against Nottingham Forest at home, they, great opportunity. They lost that one last year. <laughs> they did lose that. Um, but then, you know, you look how they follow up. Their, their August fixtures are Nottingham Forest, Crystal Palace, Fulham. That's three fixtures you could absolutely eat up. You've got nine points on the board. You've got 15 goals on the board. And if that's the case, then yeah, you might be right. Man United might have already suffered a blip by that point and they might think, I don't know, dropped points against Tottenham, for example, only scored a few goals along the way. And you might be right. But I still think over the course of the season that this is going to even out a little bit. Yeah, I think it will even out a little bit too. But I don't think that there's a, a swing of 30 goals between the two summers that the two teams I don't think had. it needs to be. I don't think, yeah, you know, I don't think you can read too much into that from last I season. I just think it's an important point that, you know, I, I, I like Rasmus Hoyland. I don't, I think he's going to take time to adapt. Um, I think the Mason Mount is a, is a smart signing in many ways, but I, I don't think it changes the picture all that much. Now we might see United go and, blitz a few more deals in the transfer market and, and that might be the change but uh, right now I just think that they might just lack a little bit of the firepower required to get them over the line and Liverpool the question I have is depth and and I think that we saw last season that this Liverpool side were hit by injury crises and stuff and ultimately when you look at the last couple of seasons then I think that that's something that, that has been quite a, a recurring theme at Liverpool now they've lost let's just look at the players that have lost that played significant minutes last season. Fabinho, Jordan Henderson, Roberto Firmino, James Milner. And then on top of that, you've got the sort of bit part players in Naby Keita, Fabio Carvalho, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who all played minutes at some capacity. Incoming, they've got Sobastai and McAllister. Now, I don't expect Liverpool to be done in the market. But right now, on the eve of the season, I'm incredibly worried about how light this squad is. And I think that they are light in some really key areas as well. Now, whether they can address those issues by the end of the window or not is going to be a major question mark as to how, how much this Liverpool challenge is a challenge for the top four or a challenge to get back in that title race. But right now, I can't sit here and, and with my heart of hearts honestly say that I think this Liverpool squad is deep enough to play Europa League football, Cup football, Carabao Cup football and Premier League football and challenge at the sharp end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, it's, it's it's a right um, concern to have. I mean, the experience that they lose um, just in, in Henderson and Fabinho alone is is hugely significant. And that's without even taking into account the fact that, yeah, Firmino, Cater, uh, Milner, the Ox, like they, I think between those four alone, I think they, they played almost a thousand games under Jurgen Klopp. Like it's an extraordinary amount of experience has gone out of the door at Liverpool and they're bringing in exciting names. But, you know, even if they were to bring in Lavia, for example, like Lavia's young and relatively inexperienced in the Premier League. Like he's a great player, don't get me wrong, but like you're not replacing that experience. That's probably the big drawback for me. Um, you're right. That 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 is something that uh, they're going to have to deal with across the course of this season. But, you know, Jurgen Klopp's fully aware of this fact. And um, 
there's no way he won't be working on ways to address that issue. Okay. To just wrap up this section, I've got to mention Newcastle. I mean, they literally qualified for the Champions League. They're they a are Champions a Champions League club. They're a Champions League club, and I, I can't. I they deserve the respect of being in this conversation right now. And to be honest, I'm going to give Chelsea a mention as well. Look, Newcastle are going to find it hard to live up to what they achieved last season. It was outstanding. Um, they exceeded the expectations I had of them. Eddie Howe, absolutely sensational, like so popular up in Newcastle right now. They've done some really nice business so far in the transfer window. And it's been smart because they've, they're picking players that really fit with what Eddie Howe would have wanted. You know, he doesn't really want them going out buying Neymar. He wants people like Harvey Barnes. And he's got Sandro Tonali coming into his midfield, like a £55 million exceptional footballer to pull the strings in there. Like that signing cannot be underrated. They do have a tough start to the season. Aston Villa, Man City, Liverpool. And I'm, I really want to assess, I know it sounds silly, but I'll assess Newcastle properly after seeing those three games because that is going to be really key to, I think, how their season starts to pan out. I'll be honest, mate. I don't think it's the end of the world if Newcastle don't finish top four next season. What would be even better, I think, if they come fifth, fine. If they get a trophy under their belt, then happy days. Newcastle haven't won a trophy in 55 years. I think that's the priority at this point. I think that that is exactly what they need. Do they not win the Intertoto Cup? Because if you're on this podcast saying that the Intertoto Cup isn't a real <laughs> trophy, then I'm afraid you're on the wrong podcast. Um, the Intertoto Cup 100% counts. But yes, I oh, take yeah. your point. Um, but, yeah, I think that, it's... yeah, these, these moves have been smart. The Tino Livramento move, I really like, although it does come yeah. with a an obvious amount of risk in the in the fact that obviously we're seeing we're, we're seeing a, a player who had a complete injury crisis season last season didn't really feature and had a brilliant season the year before but cover on both full sides um an absolutely sensational player on his day he's obviously passed all his medical tests etc at Newcastle and they will have been rigorous on Tina Livramento so if they can get him cooking again at full volume I think, especially on that left-hand side, they might have a, a real chance of of shocking a few people again. And and I think that they should definitely be included in this conversation. The squad feels broader, more filled out. Obviously, they've got Europe to compete with, which is going to be a different challenge. But I'm really excited about watching this side play. And I think that's the, the main thing at the moment. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, it's, it's going to be a really exciting season. for. I mean, Newcastle fans are on cloud nine right now. Like, what a moment for them. Look, I hope things do go well for them. I don't want to get two months into the season and the owners start suddenly going to panic up and like suddenly Eddie Howe's under threat. Like, it sounds ridiculous to even suggest that that could be the case, but football's a silly game and it doesn't take a lot for a manager like that to suddenly lose his job. I don't want Eddie Howe to lose his job. I want him to be the man that's, that certainly gets through this season. So I want good things actually for Newcastle this season, but mainly I would like to see them lift a trophy as I say a special mention for Chelsea in this section because I do think they have the potential to jump into the top four but I'm not going to go into the detail on them right now let's save that for after the break okay right well that'll wrap it up for part one don't go anywhere
Welcome back to Ranks FC. And I think it's time to go to, well, mid-table's probably a little bit harsh. Let's call them European contenders. And I mean that in European contenders in terms of not just the Champions League, but also the Europa League and the Europa Conference League as well, Dean. Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with Chelsea just because I, I touched on them there. I mean, this should be a big opportunity for them. Not having European football should be big. Mauricio Pochettino's come in as the coach. That should be big. They've been getting rid of players also almost by the day. Kai Havertz, Mason Mount, Kovacic, Kula Bali, Christian Pulisic, Edward Mendy, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Ethan Ampadu, Albamiang, uh, David Fofana, Angolo Kante, Azpilicueta. There's so many players have left Chelsea over the course of this summer, probably not even finished yet. Um, they've also been bringing in players, of course. Um, but have they really got enough experience to make a splash? The biggest signing so far, I felt, in terms of impact for the new season, was going to be Christopher Nkunku, who joined from RB Leipzig. He has suffered an injury which has required surgery and might not be back until the new year. That is a huge, huge blow in my eyes for what Chelsea could have been capable of in the early stages of this season. He'd looked lively in pre-season. I really liked the way he was playing. So I think that that is a blow. They've made a couple of other good signings too. I think Nicholas Jackson will do okay. Um, there's been some really nice link-up play with him and Mikhailo Mudrik, who's had a good pre-season from what I've seen so far. So I think that could be quite exciting. Um, so there's potential here for Chelsea. I th I'm still wondering whether they go and make a splash right at the end of the transfer window, especially now that Nkunku is out. Like, there's players out there like Neymar and Mbappe right now who are, who are looking for new clubs. Todd Bowley's sat there just like, so tempted to go there. So you just know it. Like he nearly went for Ronaldo. He did go for Ronaldo. So he'll be tempted to do something like that. Let's see whether he does. But without Nkunku, I'm not going to be bold enough to say that Chelsea um, can go and, and, and reach those Champions League spots right now. Um, so I'm just going to ease off the gas a little bit. What I will say is that they've got a pretty nice defensive base. If they can stay fit, um, I, I do like what Chelsea are capable of. Rhys James, if he is if he is able to stay fit, particularly such a big season for him, yeah. like such so such capable of such big things. You know, could be penalty taker, could be captain, could be like the new poster boy, whatever. Like he could be everything for Chelsea this season. Um, so I'm excited to see what he's capable of. Yeah, I'm completely with you on on pretty much all of that. I think um, what Nkunku did, the way that he knitted up. Chelsea's attack in the preseason games and what we've seen from them so far, I think it's good, was going to be so important. I had to take him out of my fantasy team because I thought he was going to be that good. And <laughs> the fact that he's he's injured for a long spell is absolutely brutal. He's had no luck with injuries, poor old Christopher Nkunku. He missed the World Cup with an injury just before it. He's come to a new club, looked really sharp in preseason and got injured just before the season begins. It, it really is quite brutal. I think that they've made some smart moves. I really like the Robert Sanchez move. Um, and I know there's been a lot of comedy written about the fact that Chelsea have signed Brighton's third choice goalkeeper. But I, I think that Sanchez has a lot to give. And I think that he will suit this side more than he suited Deserbi's Brighton. And I think that he will push Kepa for that number one spot. I also think it's a quite nice move in that it wasn't loads and loads of money. And I think that if they then go out next summer and they're like, we need a new number one and we're going to go all out for a new number one, then they still have the capacity to do that. So generally, I think that that is a pretty good bit of business as far as I'm concerned from, from where Chelsea are. I think Axel Dezassi is a smart move too. Obviously part of that brilliant 
Monaco back line alongside Benoit Badiashile. They'll have a relationship already. I think that that's important for, for Chelsea moving forward. Um, but yeah, I, I think Nick Jackson is a good signing, but would have been a really good signing if Nkunku was fit, enabled, you mm. know, allowing them to kind of play off each other. I think that without Nkunku, and obviously this depends on what they do for the rest of the market, they're actually 40 million in profit, I think, for, for the transfer market so far, which is absolutely nuts. Um, but the fact that that is the case means that I think they probably have the capacity to to do a little bit around what's happened here. And I, I wonder how they try and address this issue because, funny enough, Charles Felix is looking for a new club. <laughs> it felt like they tried that, didn't they? The, the second striker thing, with the, it was like a beta test. Was Charles was. Felix in there before Nkunku and now he's injured? I'm like, maybe they should go back in. Maybe they should go back in. Yeah, don't get him. Don't get him back. Good player. Look, the bracket I'm putting Chelsea in with right now, the main three clubs that I think that they are in there competing with are Tottenham, Brighton and Aston Villa. So I've got them like paired with them basically. But then I've got like three clubs just outside of that that I feel like are also in this potential middle ground, no man's land, whatever you want to call it, ending up mid-table, which is West Ham, Brentford, Bournemouth. I feel those three teams could basically end up anywhere up to seventh, anywhere down to 17th. Like I think you're too those... hot on West Ham. I think you're too hot on West Ham. Well, I have West Ham in my... like. I, right now, I don't know what their team is yet. In my relegation I've got a feeling they make like... Well, I've got a feeling they make like five signings in the last week of the window and suddenly we're looking at a totally different proposition. Fine, so that, that's, but we're not that's right where now. my mind is with that. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it with the way the way things have gone since the, the, the European final. Like, I totally get that. But yeah, Tottenham, Brighton, Villa are the main teams in, the, in this section. Aston Villa, like capable of really exciting things, I think it's fair to say. I mean, I know you'll, you'll be hot on what, what Unai Emery is going to be oh, cooking. Am, yeah. Yeah, I mean they they have got Thursday night football to contend with as well this season, and I'm I'm not sure whether finishing that high up the table is gonna help them across the course of this season. But of course, like you've always got to celebrate qualifying for such a competition, um, so that'll be something for them to look forward to. And Ange Postecoglou at Tottenham. We'll we'll leave Kane out of the conversation for now because it's it's pointless. We're like as we are talking, I'm literally getting updates on my phone. Like one one account saying Kane will leave, one account saying like Kane won't leave. He'll sign a new contract. So let's let's just leave it out of the conversation. But one thing that's exciting, I think, about having Ange Postecoglou at Tottenham is that they'll be watchable again. This will be a team that you'll actually want to watch their highlights of because they'll actually be a team that have hope of producing good attacking football scoring goals and yeah they might leak a few at the other end but as a Tottenham fan I'd be much more optimistic about what you're going to be getting over the course of a season in terms of entertainment and perhaps potential too in terms of what can happen yeah absolutely I mean I think this summer is starting to look quite good from a Tottenham perspective and a couple of weeks ago we were looking and going I don't know what's happening here I don't know what their what the strategy is but obviously Madison came in relatively early and then it went quite quiet for a while and Vicario but Mickey van der Ven signed Alejo Valiz signed today as well which is I think really really exciting not one maybe for right now but his interview when he joined Spurs one of the most amazing things he was like I felt like I touched heaven when I walked through the doors I was like wow that's one way to get the fans on side isn't it um the fact that Kulisevsky's 
permanent. The fact that Pedro Porro has become permanent. Manus Solomon's come in. I still think he's a rotation piece, but on a free transfer, that's absolutely fine. And then you're kind of looking at the outgoings and right now it doesn't look too bleak, does it? Harry Winks left for Leicester. Lucas Moura left for Sao Paulo. And Longley went back to Barcelona for the end of his loan. Now, there's obviously talk about the fact that he's still someone that Spurs are after as just a bit of defensive cover. But generally, this looks like a really smart window, I think, from from Spurs so far. And, and I'm excited. You know how much I love Ange. We obviously did a full podcast on what Ange Postacoglu's kind of in-tray looked like at Spurs. But so far in preseason, they've looked like heaps of fun. Their attacking potential is serious. I think that they have the potential to blow teams away this season. And I think that it's going to be a heap of fun, whatever happens at Spurs this season, whether Kane's there or not. I think yeah. they're going to have fun. And, and that's, I think, more than anything... That's it. That's what Spurs need. They need a bit of joy. It's been so draining, I imagine, for the last couple of weeks. And I was talking to Neil on the Anfield Wrap about this recently. And he basically was just like, if I was the Spurs management, I would go out and say, all right, I don't have a target for you in terms of things. Your target is to go out and score 100 goals in all competitions. Because if you score 100 goals in all competitions, you're going to be you're going to be up there, right, in terms of where you are in the table, because yeah. you will outscore most teams. And you're also going to have a really good time. And I think it would bring back a bit of good feeling around the place. I thought it was a really smart kind of thing to to kind of pick as a, a target. Because it would mean that Spurs fans were enjoying watching for the football again. And, and that's a major thing to try and turn around there. Yeah, I think that that's, that's fair. Um, I have to admit, like, I had a, a fair bit of scepticism around the Ange um, appointment when it, when it first happened. I just felt... And I guess I probably do still feel this a little bit is that if they go through a rocky period, things could turn quite quickly for him and there might be more of a temptation to press the panic button and get rid of him because he's not a high profile name. Like if you think of some of the other names that they were linked with before Postacoglu, then they were they were managers you'd have just trusted a bit longer term. Um you know, having a an Australian ex Celtic manager um, is is a picture people will quickly paint again if things start to go wrong. They'll be like, well, "What do you expect when this is his background?" You know, that will quickly be used against him rather than for him. At the moment, you're thinking, "Yeah, what a really nice, enthusiastic, happy guy who seems also to have a really like stern side to him and a really focused side to him." Um, obviously there was that narrative that he was too old to be be considered Tottenham manager at the grand old age of 57, but that's gone quiet for now. That will probably resurface again when Tottenham go through a bad period. But overall, I think that, yeah, if Postacoglu has managed to win over his players um, over the course of pre-season in terms of where his vision is, I think they could get off to a pretty good start. Brentford away is a pretty tough one to begin with, especially as, yeah, especially as if after that, You've got Man United, um, and if, if you've lost the first two, like suddenly people are going, hang on, this isn't this isn't great, and hopefully then they get time to settle because then they get Bournemouth, Burnley, Sheffield United. So you know it it'll be interesting, and at the very least to see how how Tottenham starts to get underway there. But um, just didn't want to take things on to Brighton because I think they are the team that really are capable of anything at this point. I think that. If you were to just be a neutral and just pick a team, you'd probably go for Brighton at the moment, given the incredible way they're they're able to spot talent and their incredible way that they're able to replace people. You know, losing Alexis McAllister and they're like, that's fine. 
people want to buy Kaiseido, they're like, that's fine. Just give us a hundred million. You can have him. We'll be able to replace him. It, it's no problem. And even just thinking like, okay, where are the goals going to be coming from? End of last season, and even coming into summer, to be honest, it's like, oh, Evan Ferguson will be exciting this season. That's that, that's the Brighton player I, I'm really going to want in my fantasy team, for example. And then I'm like, actually, no, I think João Pedro might be the player that I need from Brighton. I think maybe he's going to be the exciting goal source in this team, or at least a creator of, of chances in this team. And bringing him in from Watford for £30 million looks like a really smart piece of signing. Uh, at the back, they've brought in Igor. I mean, he's come from Fiorentina. You'll know a lot more about him than I do, but clearly somebody that's going to um, make them more resolute. And then little smart signings too, like Mahmoud Dahoud on a free, James Milner on a free. Just bulks up that experience of the squad too. Roberto De Zerbi, like absolutely unbelievable what he's already achieved in a very short amount of time at Brighton. Um at the very least, they'll be getting mid-table this season. At the very most, fifth, sixth. Yeah, really interesting to see how far they can push the button. Yeah, well, I mean, if you lose McAllister and Caicedo, then there's going to be questions, and there's going to be question marks, and and I think that that's completely fair enough. Now, how they address those is is a slightly different matter. I don't think that Brighton are going to be going and splashing that money on whacking out loads of transfers or or bringing in a big fee. But I, I think that when you look at you know João Pedro. I talked about this when I was talking about Erkan Kirkchewer moving from Feyenoord to Benfica. It's like he was 22 years old and he was Feyenoord captain. That's a major thing. Joao Pedro, you know, was trusted with the armband at Watford at like 20 years old. That is a big thing to give to a 20-year-old. Now, part of it is that he was obviously their best player. Fine, no problem. But also, he's such a creative player. He's such a wonderful like, dribbler of the ball. I think that Joao Pedro is going to thrive in this Brighton side. I don't necessarily think sure. he's an either-or with Evan Ferguson either. I think there is a world in which they work quite nicely together. The link to Mohamed Kadus, I really like. That would be smashing the transfer fee that they paid for Joao Pedro. So if they did that to replace the creativity lost a little bit with, with the uh, Alexis deal, then fine. I think that that works quite nicely. And Bartva Bruggen, again, just making smart decisions, bringing in one of, I think, the best young goalkeepers on the continent last season when he came in at Anderlecht. About Christmas time, he completely revitalised their season. He was crucial to their run in the Conference League. His ability, you know, shot-stopping ability, his penalty-saving ability, and his ability with feet all seem to fit exactly what Deserby wants. Brighton might have their number one set for the next 10 years. And that's incredible, right? That's such smart business. Igor's a bit of a random one. He's, he's a really good front-foot defender. He steps out, he engages with people. But he is also a little bit rash. And we saw that at the end of uh, the West Ham game in the Conference League final. But I think that under this tutelage in this system, if he's able to get out and, and know that he's covered behind him, know that there's someone sweeping behind him, he could be a really, really useful weapon for Brighton in terms of winning the ball back, high up the pitch and getting them onto the front foot again. Just generally, you look at what they've done in the market and you just nod and smile. And, and it basically feels like that again from Brighton. And I think that that's... About as much as you can really ask for, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And you know what? I, I, I'm just going to turn this on to Bournemouth, who I'm kind of putting as my surprise package oh, team. 100%. To, to be in the second segment, like they, sh I think most people would put them in the third segment and say that they're going to be fighting for survival again. They only finished five points clear of relegation last season. They've taken what has to be seen still as a bit of a surprise decision to get rid of O'Neill, but. To bring in Areola, like I'll let you talk a little bit about why he's going to be so good. But 
the more I'm reading about them, watched bits of them here and there in preseason and how they're preparing for the season, I'm starting to believe that this really is a team that aren't going anywhere just yet. I'll be honest, I th- I hate their start to the season. I mean, it's it's awful. West Ham, Liverpool, Tottenham, Brentford, Chelsea, Brighton, Arsenal. That's like an awful, awful set of fixtures for them. But on the flip side, if you can start the season against those teams and catch them cold, some of them, I think last season, Fulham started the season at home to Liverpool. I was dreading it. Didn't realise that Liverpool weren't going to be that good. We caught them cold, should probably have won the game. So Bournemouth have an opportunity to do that, even against teams like like West Ham at home on the first day of the season. Might actually be a good one, given where West Ham are right now. And then they can build on that and produce a surprise against Liverpool or Tottenham. And suddenly you're in a really good place. Um, So yeah, just to end this segment, really, I think that it would be wise for us to make people aware of the fact that Bournemouth might not be in the relegation battle that everyone's predicting. And for you to just give a few words on why Iriola could be so good. Intensity is the word. He only needs one, I think. This is a, a man who has got more than the sum of his parts at Raya Vallecano on a relatively stringent budget. He's brought through some you know, exciting players who, not necessarily real sort of 19-year-old youngsters, but sort of the 22, 23-year-olds really thrived under his direction. He took a side that were promoted, got them into the top half of La Liga, had them challenging for Europe twice. They are a really good side. Well, they were a really good side, and he is a really good manager. There are elements of Bielsa about the intensity that he likes to play with. But I think that just generally you get, you know, as much in terms of the, the on-ball structure. He likes to, to overload. He likes to make sure that his team are comfortable when they do have the ball and, and, and win it back as well. So I think that Iriola is a, a really, really interesting choice. Now, as you say, sometimes managers don't get the, the daylight or the time they need. But I think the Bournemouth look like they're building a long-term project. I think that some of the additions here, Milos Kerkes from RZ Alkmaar, I thought was a, a really smart little move, 19-year-old. You look at the rest of them, and I think that this goes back further than this window, right? It goes all the way back to, to January and even last summer. But Ilya Zabani, who came in last summer, the Ukrainian, really brilliant young centre-back who has a real high ceiling, I think. You look at Dango Atara, who came in and, and was pretty good last season. Hamid Junior Traore's come in from Sassuolo. He's 23. Justin Clivert's come in. Point to prove. Not really worked for him at Roma. 24 years old. So much of this squad is in that kind of sub-25 prime. And so much of the squad that I think is going to play. And I think that when you put all that together, it does feel like Bournemouth are building something long-term. And under Iriola, I'm with you. I think this is a top-half finish for Bournemouth. Brilliant. Right, let's catch our breath then, mate, and then head into that relegation dogfight. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our third and final part of this Premier League preview. And we're going into the bottom half of the table and into the depths of what might be another big relegation scrap, I think, in the Premier League. So, DJ, back over to you. Yeah, I mean, it could be the most competitive season we've ever seen at the top end of the table, but it could be a big competitive <laughs> scrap at the bottom too. And it could be between about eight or nine teams, I reckon. Like it was last year, um, right? Yeah, like it was last year. I mean, this is just the way of the world with the split of, of this league at the moment. Um, look, let's introduce the the three promoted teams to the Premier League. We have Luton Town, we have Burnley, and we have Sheffield United in the Premier League this season. 
Uh, Luton Town um, playing here for the first time. As soon as you see them on TV, you'll be like, what is this all about? Um, tiny stadium. Um, they've got a tiny budget. They are not equipped really to be at this level, but they are absolutely going to make the most of it. Last season was unbelievable as far as they were concerned. I think like even if you'd have told a Luton fan that they could have been in with a chance of the playoffs, they'd have they'd have snapped your hand off. Um, so to actually come up is a real credit to them and to their their coach, uh, Rob Edwards, who arrived at Luton um, last year and has just really performed wonders for this team. Um, just to talk about them first, because I think it's probably the team that we'll know least about. Um, the style of football you're going to get is basically very direct attacking football. Um, they'll look to get the ball up Rob there as Edwards, quick as possible. The wingback whisperer. The wingback whisperer. <laughs> he loves wingbacks. <laughs> loves wingbacks. Loves a ball into the box and loves winning the ball high up as well. So they, you will see that. You will see that they're quite intense at winning the ball back. But you're not going to get like slow build-ups from, from Luton and trying to keep possession. You're going to get a team that just want to... Um, make the most of of opportunities as quickly as possible when they do have the ball like I hope they they can at least make a fight of of staying in this league I mean I'd say every pundit in the land will will earmark Luton to finish 20th in the division this year and that's fine to do that like that that's fair because that's if you're going to rank the Premier League right now 1 to 20 then Luton are number 20 but this is a fantastic opportunity for them in their history it gives them a financial grounding to build upon for future years. If you look at the sort of transfers that they've they've started to make um, this summer, that they're, they're not looking to make a, a major splash. They're signing players for literally four, five million pounds. They they they're not they're not doing anything significant. Like they've signed marvelous Nakamba from Aston Villa for four million. He was key to them getting promoted last year. Yeah. They brought in Ryan Giles from from Wolves, who like you talk about Edwards with, with Rob Edwards. I love Ryan Giles. I tell <laughs> a you, wing I can't, back that fits the bill. I can't explain to you how much he's gonna love Ryan Giles. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Ryan Giles actually could be end up being not a bad fantasy option at some point. Like let's see what kind of goal threat Luton end up having with, with Colt Morris up front, like whether he can finish the chances that are created for them in this league but yeah Ryan Giles certainly has potential to help them on their way do you give him a hope before I move on to the others do we give him a hope I think you always give teams hope everyone has hope of surviving but I think that and a lot of people had Bournemouth earmarked at 20th last year right and they ended up five points clear in 15th so I, I don't want to make the same mistake again but I am wary that Luton look like they're signing for a championship season and they look like they're signing for a proper crack at a championship tilt. This is, you know, Ryan Giles, as we say, on loan at Middlesbrough last year, did really well. Tath Chong's come in from Birmingham, obviously was at United in the and in the, in the academy, but moved to Birmingham. He's he's moved into this Luton side now. Mads Anderson's come in from Barnsley. Tom Kaminsky's come in from Blackburn, I think, as, as a backup keeper, but that's fine. Marvellous Nicambra, as you say, on loan there last year. Chidozi Bene from Rotherham. Now, I love Chidozi Bene, obviously, but... I, I'm not 100% sure that this is a side built for Premier League survival. That said, I think Issa Kabore is a really good move. I really like that. I think that's a really interesting one on loan from Manchester City. But, you know, we, I was listening to an interview with one of the, the staff at Luton the other day, and he was basically like, yeah, we've had to spend nine million of the budget on 
upgrading the stadium so that it's it's sufficient for Premier League standards. So yeah, I mean it's not ready in time for the season, is it? No. So there's there's a lot going on uh, at Luton, and I think that they're you know as you say enjoying the ride, and I don't mean that disparagingly by by any sort of stretch of the imagination. It's about them. I think it's about consolidation. If they can if they can exceed expectations and stay up, then absolutely unbelievable for them. If they can't and they end up going back down, they look like they're building a squad which is capable of going okay. We had that go. We're going to now challenge it at winning the title in in the championship and being able to build this up over a longer period of time. So, and I don't think that's a particularly poor strategy either. I think it's I think it's quite an interesting way to go about things. Um, they've got lots to to fill still. This side still feels I think a little bit loose, but generally, you know, you look at them and you think that they they especially I think teams going to Luton will struggle with Kenilworth Road. Now I've been to Kenilworth Road and it is. It's tiny and it's really on top of you and it's really old school and the fans are baying. It's a, you know, it's a little bit like a smaller version of Millwall's Den. And I think that teams might be a bit surprised by the sort of intensity of that at times because it is one of those places where you can, you know, look the, the fans, the whites of their eyes. And, and that's going to be an interesting thing to see how Luton get on at home. Obviously, that was what kept Nottingham Forest up last year, their incredible home record. So... It depends how quickly they adapt. Obviously, starting with a load of away games because Kenilworth Road isn't ready is not ideal because it means that it's going to be a tough start for them. But I am intrigued as to if that plays into things as a factor. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's totally fair. Right, let's go on to the other two um, new sides in the league, Sheffield United and Burnley. I'll be quite clear here. I think Burnley have the best chance of survival by quite a distance. Yeah. Um, I see, I mean, even today, Sander Burge, who's a Sheffield United player, looks like he's joining Burnley. Um, and Sander Burge is a player, look, he's not the same player he was a few years back. He's had big injuries to contend with. He's slightly changed his style of play. But losing him to a team that's just come up with you it's pretty significant, um, and that's a good move from Burnley, who are managed by Vincent Company. Um, Burnley, well, they had an incredible season. You know, they they won the league at their big rivals, Blackburn Rovers. They're celebrating on the turf of their of their big rivals there at Ewood Park. This feels like a completely different club from the one that we saw leave the Premier League last time. No one liked Burnley. No one wanted to watch Burnley, especially Sam Ty. But um, now you're going to actually quite enjoy watching Burnley, I think. You're going to get a side that actually plays some football. They'll be pretty good technically, but they'll also have a real... They'll have a substance about them, a real determination and fight about them. And they're making good little changes to the squad set up too that I think is really going to help them stay in this league. Again, I mean, I, I talked about my surprise package for the season being Bournemouth in the sense like punching above their weight. I'll probably throw Burnley into that bracket as well because this might be a team that by the last month of the season aren't even in that that conversation around relegation if things go the way I feel that they could. I thought they've got such a good base to build on from last season that they are actually not coming up to the Premier League just looking to survive. I think they're probably expecting a little bit more than that. Whereas Sheffield United, I mean, survival would be amazing for them. Really There's worried. no doubt about it. They've got, they got no budget. They've got no... They're, they're losing people. 
Paul Heckingbottom as manager is going to have to perform a miracle. Yeah, I, I'm worried about Blades. And and I think that you look at the, the player that's left in Iliman NDI, you're looking at Sander Burge leaving. There's also this element of kind of leadership departing as well. Billy Sharp obviously decided to hang up his boots at the end of last season. Now, I don't think Billy Sharp would have featured all that much in the Premier League, but I think it's interesting that him, Ender Stevens, Jack O'Connell, who's been obviously sadly missing for a couple of seasons with that serious injuries, a couple of stalwarts of this kind of old Sheffield United team that we knew leaving the club. Now, that's not always a bad thing, but in this case, I am a little bit concerned about that going on alongside the departures of star man in, in the eye and midfield anchor in uh, Sander Burge. The signings have been... Okay, Austin Tristy's come in from Arsenal. We're seeing Benny Traore come in from from Hocken. That was a one that I thought was quite interesting, but I'm not sure that it's going to be. He has to be the guy straight away, and I'm not sure that's what you wanted from a signing coming in, you know, from Sweden. And Islamane's come in from Bromby in Denmark. They're obviously looking at that Scandinavian market, but I'm I'm not completely convinced that Blades have enough. They need bodies desperately. And at the moment, they're not getting them. And, and I'm really worried about them. But this Burnley summer, as you say, really, really exciting. James Trafford going to get his kind of big go in the Premier League. Had a brilliant time at, at Bolton and deserves his opportunity, I think, here at, at Burnley. I think that you look at someone like Jakob Brun Larsson coming in from, from Hoffenheim on loan. Hasn't lit up the place in, in recent years, but I think he provides that just level of top flight experience. And then there's Zeki Amdouni, who I think might be the surprise package this time. He was brilliant for Basel in the Conference League. He's been flipped pretty quick. Um, 22 years old, but a real player. Shone at the under-21 Euros, even in relatively poor Switzerland side, I thought. I'm I'm really impressed with that little bit of business. They were linked with Mikhail Tadze, who I spoke about uh, with Luke on the League Arm preview show about Mets. Um, I think that would also be very, very smart business if Burnley go back in there. But Amdouni's a really interesting one. And I think that they look in the best shape to compete of the three promoted sides. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to say for Sheffield United, like last season, they did manage to find remarkable consistency and they built a real good team ethic. Like that is the one thing that hopefully can give them a fighting chance this season. Um, so we do wish them good luck because that is a, Bramble Lane's a great stadium to visit is, as well. The, the atmosphere will be rocking. So it's still worth tuning in for a few Sheffield United games. Look, I'm going to end the game, end this show, end the game, end the show with a little ranking um, because there are a few Premier League teams that some are pretty well established that I think are in danger. We've got um, Fulham, Everton, Crystal Palace, Wolves, and Nottingham Forest that we have not spoken about yet. There's five clubs that... We didn't really speak about Brentford, but they're not in trouble, sadly. Yeah, I mean, I, I did glossed over Brentford, really, because I'm, I'm honestly not sure we're getting with, with no Ivan Tony And I don't I don't know. I don't, but I don't think Brentford will will be in this conversation. I, I, I'm having Brentford in that in that no man's land. As I said, these clubs, they, they might prove me wrong, hopeful and prove me wrong, but... I think it could be a scrap. So, out of these teams, mate, in terms of who should be the most worried to the least worried, one being most worried, five to least worried, tell me what you're thinking in terms of Fulham, Everton, Palace, Wolves and Forest. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a really interesting one because I would have had West Ham in this in this five as well. Oh, yeah, I you said have, that, yeah, yeah. I would have had them maybe two. 
Okay. I think wolves. I think wolves are in dire straits. Wolves are. Yeah. Wolves are in dire straits. It looks like today they're already the... bottom of the league before a ball is kicked, based on <laughs> alphabetical order. And West Ham, <laughs> they won't be moving West Ham and Wolves, I think, might well be uh, in their <laughs> alphabetical issue positions. I think that you look at what's happened at Wolves this summer. Lepetsky is about to leave. It looks like they're going to appoint Gary O'Neill as his replacement, who obviously worked miracles with Bournemouth last season, but. I'm not completely convinced by that appointment either. I think there was a feeling of he was around the squad, he was part of it, and he you know, built up that with Bournemouth as opposed to coming in cold at Wolves. I hope he's practising his Portuguese. Um, Ruben Correct. Neves has left. Nathan Collins has left. Raul Jimenez has left. Now, Connor Cody wasn't there last year. He was obviously on loan, but he's gone permanently. I'm just a bit concerned that there's just not much in this squad. Adama Traore has left. Diego Costa has left. Joao Martinho has left. Like, when you kind of look at those players, it just feels like you look at a team that is lacking in so many areas. And I am really concerned for Wolves. Uh, right now, I think that they are right in there in the relegation scrap. I'd have West Ham in here next, although, yeah. as you say, a couple of signings might change that all around. I think that Everton will be better this year. They're not going to be fun to watch. They are going to be the Burnley of old. They've been in the in the, in the the quarry-eating gravel with Sean for the, uh, for the entire summer. But, you know, Dan Juma came in, finally, after six months of messing around at Spurs. Ashley Young feels like a relatively smart bit of business, even at 38. I think that what he showed at Aston Villa last year was that he's still capable of competing at this level. And I think they're going to bring in Yusuf Chermiti, who's a really interesting player and someone that I really like. He's not going to be the full package very quickly, but he'll get opportunities because Dominic Calvert-Lewin very rarely remains fit for an entire season. Yari Mean has left. I think that Everton still are, of these sides, are probably the one in the most trouble. Um, then I'd have Fulham, having watched the first half against Hoffenheim at the weekend, it was very bad. Um, it was better in the second half, but there's still a lot of shadows hanging over Fulham. The Mitrovic deal, what's going to happen? I, I still think that Fulham need three or four more bodies through the door. You know, this has been a, a light summer. Whether Fred comes in this week, whether there's some more additions in the form of Callum Hudson-Odoi and Damari Gray, fine. But I think that those deals need to happen. And I think that, Fulham probably need a right back as well. So th there's definitely places in this Fulham squad that I am wary of. I'll have Palace above Fulham because I think that when you look at this team, I think Mateus Franco is a really interesting signing. I spoke about this on the Patreon, but someone who moves the ball really well, comfortable in sort of the left wing in that attacking midfield 10 role and, and on the right as well, should replace Wilfred Zaha. And, and I think that when you look at what he's done so far in his career... I think that's a really interesting pickup for 20 million. I think he could shine. And Jefferson Lerma, sensible, sensible movement. Apart from Zaha, doesn't feel like they've lost all that much. I think the Palace under Roy Hodgson will be just fine. And then Forrest, I think, <laughs> might be the best of the lot next season. I think we saw a lot from them. I saw that, you know, they've, they've brought in Anthony Alanga. They've brought in Olaina, who I really like, that is spell at Fulham. Again, doesn't feel like they've lost any huge players in the grander scheme of things. Obviously, Lodi's left and Kaylor Navas has left. But I think that they have space to work with Forrest. They obviously have a good backing. They obviously have players that are, you know, being able to come in and, and, and grow. And I think what we saw from Forrest at the end of last season 
pretty much convinced that they're going to be on the up. I think they're going to be in this mid-table bit as opposed to in the relegation scrap. But again, you know, this is something that can change quite quickly. If, if things change around and they decide that Steve Cooper isn't the man, there were multiple reports last year that they were on the verge of sacking Steve Cooper. As long as Cooper stays, I think the Forest should be grand. But if they don't, if he doesn't, and they decide to go all Olympiacos on things, then, you know, things can change very quickly. But right now, I think I have Forrest as the safest of that pile. No, interesting. I probably wouldn't have done that. But um, what I do know is that all five of those teams will be absolutely desperate that, that Luton and Sheffield United are as bad as we fear they could be because it will mean that there's only one other spot open for relegation. Um, like you, I would, I would put Wolves in as the most at risk right now. Um, I would probably have put Forrest second, to be honest. I'm, I'm still not wholly convinced of what's going on there. Uh, the other three probably just have enough to get away from it. But yeah, that's our that's our wrap of the Premier League preview, mate. It's obviously going to be a fantastic season. Um, we will still be running our, our fantasy Premier League ranks FC league. So I'll make put sure the link in the description so you can put your link in it. the description. I mean, if you were in it last year, then it should refresh anyway. I checked mine today and I'm and I'm back in there. Um, so it's it's all automatically kicked back in. So make sure you've all got your FPL teams ready this week. Um, and yeah, it's going to be uh, an exciting season, mate. And it all gets underway on Friday night. Yeah, it does indeed. We are back in the Premier League, ladies and gentlemen. All that's left for me to do is say thank you so much for listening today. Really, really appreciate it. Major thanks to the transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Name of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. We hope that you enjoy the Premier League season on its return, and we'll see you very shortly. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score, and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.